Heart of My Religion by George McNulty. I'm sure you've heard the saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. Have you ever wondered why this is so? How can this truly make sense? Well, there is one sword which is not forged from steel, but by God himself. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the writer inspired reveals, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is a declaration that God will not ignore the plight of his creation. He made us in love and we are messed up. But he was not going to let us go without a fight. Our long enslavement to Satan and his way faced a challenge. One he could never defeat. God did not and has not let us remain enslaved and ignorant of his purposes. Words are powerful weapons and expressions of thought. Through words, God set his plan in motion. A powerful message of redemption and hope. Into our world, God the Son came to bring deliverance to the seekers of his kingdom, Matthew 6:33. He engaged the devil in a scripture duel during his 40 days and nights in the wilderness of Judea, recorded for us over in chapter 4 of Matthew's account of the gospel. And the evil one had to tuck his tail and flee. In James 4 and verse 7, we read, We are to submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How to resist? Remember the promises of holy scriptures and the power of prayer. The Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. God's word achieves these needful things. Powerful and pure, cleansing and comforting, sure and steadfast is the word. The words spoken by Christ were as powerful as an earthly sword. When confronted by soldiers and temple guards sent to illegally arrest him, we read, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. By his word, the very fabric of reality came about, as recorded in John 1 and verse 1. When suffering upon the cross itself, when most would be cursing their tormentors, Christ prayed for them. In Luke 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What happened after Jesus died was so remarkable that we are told even these hardened men, along with the commanding officer, knew who he was. Now in the centurion and they that were with them, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done. They feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Matthew 27, 54. The sacred scriptures are the very words of God himself, communicated to us through men filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible is powerful, deeply meaningful, and cuts to the very soul of its readers. 
Truly we can say God's word reads us as much as we read it. It calms our fears, convicts the sinner and frightens unbelievers so much that they balance very possession. If you do not fear something, then why make it illegal? Because it conquers the hearts and minds. It builds communities of loyal subjects of the immortal King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19.16 When Peter declared the gospel call on Pentecost, we read how that message was received over in Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The apostle answered in the following verse, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. These are words of power that cut to the quick. The Holy Bible is our swift and terrible sword, forged in heaven, given by the Holy Ghost, and wielded by his beloved followers. Words are the weapons of our warfare. Be they sacred scripture or ushered in humble prayer, in accordance with the will of our holy God, weapons are a part of our religion, yes. It is true. Yet these weapons are meant to bring the dead and sin to life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He told us he came to give us life in John 10 verse 10. He is the very light of man and in him is found life eternal. John 1 and verse 4. The holy scriptures are our weapons. Use them in love and compassion and share the wonders of the sword that is the living word of God. Wow. Prayer is so important, isn't it? It's so immensely important. And we don't stop to think about just how much we need that connection to God. If you think about it, we are the army of God. We're the army of light in the world surrounded by the darkness. Any normal army, wherever they are, if they're in trouble, if they're in danger, they call in support. That is what we must do. You've often heard people say, we're going to drag you to your knees. Well, as Christians, <laughs> if people drag us to our knees, they need to start running. Because we've told our Heavenly Father. There's no one ever is so strong as a Christian than when they're on their knees in prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ was asked by his apostles, if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter, one, chapter 11 and verse 1, you'll notice something very interesting happening here. That's Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. The apostles, his disciples are, going, are, are asking Jesus to teach them something. And then they're not saying, teach us how to heal other people. Teach us this, this great gift you have. Teach us how to, to make miracles. Or even teach us how to preach. They're saying, teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples how to pray. So there's two instances in the Bible of where we have biblical authority to teach how to pray. That's how important it is. It's mentioned twice in just one verse. One of the things we never got around to in school, and I remember the director there, Sidney White, he was, we were talking one day, as we often did, and we were talking about how great it would have been if we had have had a few hours every week 
to learn about prayer. We just weren't able to fit it into the curriculum and it was going to be in, in the third year and we never got to have a third year which would have made six years of full-time learning and probably would have driven all of us completely crazy. But um, <laughs> I kind of regretted that and I thought, well, let's remedy that. Let's study how to pray. Prayer is a weapon that Christians have as well to use against the forces of darkness. You don't just hand a... $120 million airplane to a novice pilot. You just don't say, here you go and off you fly. You train before you get there. And we too are to train. You see, prayer is not just a plea to God. It's not just a request to God. It's also a method whereby we give him thanksgiving. And remember, God, he's not some Santa Claus figure. He's not someone that you just go up and you give him a list of things you want to rocket and a donkey and this kind of thing. You don't do that with the living God. And you certainly don't make your requests made known to him and then not thank him. We need to thank God for all that he has done for us. And when we pray, we need to, we need to really think about what we're doing. No, pray from the heart. It's not to be some some ordinary speech to God and it's not to be a sermon to the audience either it's to be it's to be for my hearts and minds it's to be for each other for the world praise to God and we need to realize the value of prayer in the life of a child of God the Lord Jesus Christ would often in the New Testament go off to pray and he would pray by himself he'd go off to commune with the Father Brethren, we have that wonderful privilege of being able to commune with the Father through Jesus Christ, just as he did. What an amazing gift to have been given to go to him, to say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father. To be allowed that intimacy with the creator of all the universe. Not everybody has that. In order to be able to call him Father, you must be his child. You must be a Christian. Or else that avenue of prayer, that avenue into the Holy of Holies, into the, into the, the temple of the living God in heaven, so to speak, is not open for you. Not everybody can go into the earthly temple on earth. Only the high priest could go in there. He could only go in so far. But through Jesus, we can go straight in there, straight there into the heavenly, straight to the ear of our Father. And to see, prayer itself may be insufficient in our lives. It has to be backed up with deeds, not just words, but it is a vital part of our relationship with God. Absolutely vital. Sometimes a problem develops. People can begin to think that, that God created things and that's it, everything is done, that he's not working today, but that is not true. God is active. Now, I'm not talking about these these so-called miracle workers that have been doing not very much. The occasional one has been going around laying his hands on victims of COVID-19. And sadly, and it is sad, there's nothing to be boasting about, they too have died. And they've died not in communion with God according to the Bible. Well, we can see the, the fallacy of these so-called faith healers. Where are they? They're not in the hospitals. They're not in the nursing homes. 
They're not in the supermarkets. They're not going around casting it out. We have seen the power which they have. And it is just futile. And sadly, because they're not actually truly Christians, according to the word of God, they don't even have a prayer. But we do. If you'll be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 15 to 20. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. You see... God is still active in this world. And when we pray to him, we must go with the attitude of a child going to God, knowing that our Father can sort out whatever problems that are in our lives. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever been overwhelmed with worry, cares, terrible things, really heavy things in your lives? When have you taken time to pray to God and not felt better afterwards? Knowing that he is there, knowing and having full faith according to the scriptures that the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is listening to you and is concerned about you. Zephaniah 3.17 is one of the most touching verses in the Bible. It says that I am I'm looking I'm looking over you. That God is looking over us. He's singing over us. The idea of this is that he's actually shouting, That's my child. And I'm watching over you. So we turn to him and we listen to him. So when we learn how to pray, when we really study it, we can we can become effective in it. Notice what Paul was doing. He was praying for this church, he was rejoicing. That they were full of love for each other, full of love for the gospel, full that that love was shining in the people on the outside of the church. They were seeing it. They were attracted to it. And he was praying that God would continue to bless them with the revelation of the truth of Jesus Christ. He was encouraging them and he was praying for their peace. Which is something we must always try and remember to pray for the peace between the brethren in the church. This is Christ's church. We want it to be orderly according to his ways. And above all, to show our love, our practical care for each other, to glorify him. And people notice us. They notice us a cold church. Notice us a church that's so cold, you enter in with a bucket of milk and it's ice cream by the time it gets to the pulpit. 
And there's far too many churches like that. And people also notice a warm one. And it is more attractive than any pretty building. And the Bible teaches us how to pray. And the Lord Jesus gave us a passion. A passion prayer, the model prayer. If you're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. That's the Gospel account of Matthew chapter 6. And we start at verse 1. Take heed that you do not your, your arms before men to be seen, to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. See, right here at the beginning, the Lord is telling us to take heed that we're not making a big show of what we do for God. It is not about us. It is not about self-glorification. We are not glory seekers. It's all about Him. It must be. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, or giving, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets, that they may have glory of men, Vainly I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which soweth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, you see, the Lord is teaching humility here. It's not about us. Remember, as a Christian, you take Christ out of the equation, take Christ out of Christian, I A N I am nothing. Remember that. We're nothing without Christ. In him, however, we have all the riches of heaven. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray sounding in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you that they say unto you they have their reward. But when, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And what he means here when he says closet is, is a secret room. You know, within the ancient Jewish tradition at the time, the secret room could be just the pulling of the prayer shawl over the head. Even that was permissible. Because what they weren't doing, they weren't going with a big, I haven't got one around here, box, something a big box on their head, the bigger the better, with their hands up in the air and going, oh, let the world see how holy I am, how great I am, so much better than them. The Lord hates that kind of thing. But isn't the world full of that? And they're bringing glory to themselves. Well, shame, truly. Truly, it, it is shame for what they're doing because it's not what's commanded or desired of God. It is vain. And when thou hast shut thy door, Pray to thy Father, which is in, the, in, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. In the pagan world, they had these, these prayers, they said over and over and over. They were mantras, they were potions, if you will. When they would go and they, were, they would offer their household gods this or that. And that's been carried on into the modern world. There are a lot of religions that use these kind of beads. 
and they say a prayer for each one of these beads thinking that they're i don't know putting coins in the in the slot machine to get it to get enough enough um credit to get forgiven that kind of thing that's not how it works be not be not ye therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him now those of you who are parents you probably know your children have things which they need before before they even ask you but it's it's nice to be asked isn't it it's nice to be thanked you don't go up feeling all entitled to this remember to always thank our heavenly father after this manner pray ye and you see he built this modern prayer this model prayer he didn't mean for it to be a mantra that we say the our father 30 times and this prayer 20 times and all these kinds of things this was a framework upon which we would build our own prayers that we would mold our, our own prayers according to the conditions that we find ourselves living in but notice as we go through the model prayer there is an acknowledgement of the supremacy of god that he's the one who is in charge his word is in charge that we are completely dependent upon him that we are dependent upon, upon him for our bread our daily bread that we're to forgive those who have done things against us they ask for forgiveness we must forgive them as we would have ourselves to be forgiven and the prayer ends with a a crescendo of honor to god of praise and glory to him our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father. We are a family with a head. And that is God, the Holy Trinity. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. To hallow means to honour. To honour his name. As we look in this world today, we don't see much honouring of the name of God, do we? He's blasphemed here, there and everywhere and it's, it's in movies. But when was the last time you heard the name Muhammad blasphemed in a movie? Or Buddha or Krishna? And yet they blasphemed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. The one who said, love one another. Do good to those who do you wrong. They're not hallowing his name. The Bible says those who do not honour the name of God will be punished they will not be found guiltless it is sinful to mock god thy kingdom come now the kingdom has come so how do we apply this to our own prayer lives well lord let thy kingdom expand let thy kingdom grow let thy kingdom tear down the strongholds of the enemy and ever expand across this world to bring glory to his name you see we can we can we can use this as a framework. This is an example. Thy will be done on in earth as it is in heaven. And the Lord is also teaching us. You know, prayer can be used for teaching. And he's teaching us that we are to do, to strive to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do his will on earth? By obeying what's in the word of God. It's quite simple really. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we pray that the Lord will keep us out of the way of things which will which will get in the way of our relationship with him, things which would be cause us to sin. Now, some of us could walk through through a, a liquor store and just probably feel sick. I, and it wouldn't bother me any. I, I would just be thinking, oh, get me out of here. It's horrible. But it's not to say I don't have a weakness. As my wife will tell you, if we go past a guitar shop, I'm just to pull me away. You know, I st- yeah, <laughs> lead us not. Yeah, lead us not into temptation. So you avoid those things which would lead you into temptation. You avoid those things that might get you into trouble one way or another. For thine is the kingdom. You see, it's his kingdom, not ours. We're taught there in the prayer. The power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice also, he says, For if ye ye forgive men their trespasses, their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So we're not to hold on to things. We're not to, not to say, okay, this person upset me, that person annoyed me, and get out your little book. It might just be in your memory. And then have your little begrudgery book. You know, that, that little book of grudges. We're, we're not supposed to have grudges. The Lord said if we're to enter into heaven, we're supposed to be as children. And how often have we seen children having fights and pushing each other around and then... They're not talking to each other and they go to their parents and their parents get involved. And sometimes, foolishly, the police get involved and lawsuits get involved. And five minutes later, the kids are out there playing again. They forgave, they forgot, they move on. I think maybe we should include in our prayers, Lord, help me to have a good memory for forgetting. I know it's not easy to forget, but it's it's good to develop a, a forgetful memory of those those misdeeds remember that person if they come and look for forgiveness from you they are they're a sinner that is in need of salvation just as we are we're all messed up we're all out of favor with god until we become christians and to show the love of god in this world it is imperative that when someone seeks forgiveness, we forgive them. It's good for them and it's very good for us because we, do, we want our Heavenly Father to forgive us. Verse 15, But if ye forgive not the men their trespasses, <laughs> neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So it is in our self-interest to do this. And this makes us better people. It makes us better Christians. It doesn't mean the hurt goes away if if it was particularly bad, if you go to them and you try to to make things up with them and they they just won't hear it, well, you've done all you can do. This is only so much you can do. You cannot change somebody else's mind. At the end of the day, what you can do as a Christian is to pray for them. That's the best thing you can do. Now, as a Christian, we can indeed turn to God the Father. Turn to Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. It's Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This is Paul speaking here. Paul is himself an Israelite. And the people of Israel, for the most part, had rejected God. They persecuted him. 
they tried to murder him on many occasions. And yet still he prayed that his own people would come to know God. Remember, Paul himself, when he was Saul, before he changed his name, was one of the greatest, infamous persecutions of the Christian church. He literally terrorised them. And he was given permission from the religious leaders in Jerusalem to go and do this. To terrorise the Christians. To persecute and to bring them to Jerusalem for trial. He stood by as, as Stephen was brutally murdered. And yet when he became a Christian, he became one of the most powerful preachers that Christianity has ever known. We're still quoting him today. And we can see how God can turn someone who is an enemy of the cross into a champion of the cross. And so he prayed for Israel. He prayed for his enemies continually. And now sometimes that doesn't come naturally for us. But a lot of us, we think, I don't like that person very much. Yeah, we must think of the example of, of the prophet Jonah who was told to go to the city of Nineveh, the capital of the enemies of his, of his own nation. Jonah was a patriot. He loved Israel. He hated the Assyrians and he certainly, certainly hated the Ninevans. So when God told him, you need to go there and tell them to repent of their sins so that I will forgive them and not destroy them, you must go. But what did he do? He was thinking, hmm, if they don't repent... God's going to destroy them like Sodom and Gomorrah. Good. I don't like them. I hate them. Let them burn. I'm not going. So he hopped on a boat and started headed over towards what's now Spain. About as far away as you could possibly get. But God had other plans. God brought him to Nineveh. In the most unorthodox way. But when God's going to do something, he's going to do something. And it's, it, we really don't have much of a say in it. So we went to Nineveh. And begrudgingly... He preached that they had to repent. And you know something. Those pagans of Assyria. Those cruel pagans. And they were viciously cruel. They didn't build their empire by being nice to people. These were people who enjoyed putting ropes through people's cheeks to drag them along. They were, they were nasty. They repented. Their king repented. He ordered his people to repent. And they turned to God at least for a while. And spared his judgment upon them. And what did Jonah do? He went out and he's saying, curse, you, curse God and die. He, he, he was still upset about it. But that's an attitude we must not have. We are to teach the gospel. We are to tell others that God loves them. If they reject us, if they reject the gospel, don't take it personally. It's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting the message you're bringing. They're rejecting God. And he's the one they'll have to answer to. All you can do sometimes is the hope that you've planted a seed. And that hard-heartedness, that hard-headedness, that pride will somehow begin to give. Most people don't realise the power of a seed. They think of a seed and they, they think of a, of a building, a castle wall. And I've seen many a castle wall that's been split over the centuries by a seed that grew into a plant that crept into the concrete, that kept creeping in and started pushing and moving and doing this and doing that, you'd be surprised what a seed can do once it's planted. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians to plant it. So we pray that the ground would be good, 
We pray that there will be a spot, maybe even just a crack, a tiny crack in their hearts and their minds, just something that will make them think, maybe, maybe I should stop listening to Dr. Toothy or Mr. Mr. Fantastic or, or whatever, whatever new preacher has come along from divine revelation from God and a UFO or some such nonsense. Maybe I should actually crack open the Bible myself and have a read of it and see what he says, see what Jesus says. The Lord our God is a powerful God. He's the most powerful God. He's the only God. And when we turn to him in prayer, as Christians, he hears us. It is a worthwhile, a very worthwhile study to pray, to train. As I said earlier, you don't jump in a multi-million dollar airplane and start flying it and expect to be uh, in Top Gun or something. You need to learn, you need to train. And we're training our whole lives. We never stop. We train and we strive to be better, to improve ourselves in his service, for his service, for his glory. And we seek to spread his word. We seek to help each other. The examples of prayer in the New Testament are many. In this first study, we've just touched, just scratched the surface of it. But as we learn, as we go through it, we will learn and see the sheer power of prayer. The comfort it brings each other. The comfort it brings ourselves knowing that we can go to God in prayer. And remember, if you're brought to your knees in prayer, you're more powerful than you could ever be. That old devil will tuck his tail and flee. We can turn to our Heavenly Father. We can talk to him. He will listen. And we can find peace and comfort and solace there. And when those people whom we talk to and who, who reject the gospel, who don't want to hear about it, who are full of pride, who are puffed up, who are proud members of their church, their denomination, their group, and not humble servants of Christ, that they will begin to see there's a difference. Because all that's ours is the right to say, yes, Lord, I obey, or no, I choose to turn away. We have that choice. Let us pray that the people of this world that the people we talk to, the people we meet, our family members, will put aside all that pride and seek to follow Jesus as the disciples did. May God teach us how to pray and to use this weapon to the tearing down of the strongholds of the enemy. Thank you for your attention.